As I've helped to plant Rise City Church right in the heart of Gresham, I have seen God move in ways that I never dreamed of. I've watched as young adults were willing to sleep in their cars just to be part of the movement. I've watched as fathers baptize their entire family, literal generations getting saved. I've seen scruffy-headed teenagers grow into men of God, leading this next generation in our city into a brighter future than I ever imagined when I first walked these streets. This has been the kind of move of God that you only hear about often other stories of other places but it's not happening in some other place. It has been happening right here in our city. Hearts are being awakened, lives are being restored, trajectories are being altered because Jesus is moving in Gresham as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Rat City Church. How you guys doing today? All right. <laughs> so we are going through this endeavor where we're looking at what does it mean to win this city? What does it mean to have a gospel impact here? And how do you do that? How do you go about that? Yes, obviously things like Laundry Love and partnerships and for us to be missionaries, that's what this whole series has been, is looking at what does it mean that we are the missionaries sent to this community? But how? How do we actually go about reaching, connecting with people. Um, when I was 16, um, I got radically saved by God, and I just was like on fire. Like everything about my life, the way I dressed, the music I listened to, everything changed radically. And I remember my mom, uh, she took me to the local Christian bookstore where I live, a place called Graceland, and it was right next to a Target. And we're walking in, and, we, and I walk past this car that has a Darwin sticker, um, you know, uh, attached to it. And uh, so me being the like radical, like Michael W. Smith listening, you know, Christian that I was in that moment, I reached over and I pulled the sticker off the car. <laughs> By the way, the, the, the contrast reactions was so good. You know, most of you guys gasped. One person gave me a fist pump. I'm, I'm with that. That's what I thought my mom was going to do. I thought my mom was going to give me a fist pump. Like, you are saving this city, Jason. Well done. That sticker is going to, you know, removal is transformational. But she was so upset with me. And I was like, mom, like, why? Like, I'm, I'm saving this person, you know? Like, that's how you do it, right? You just like one sticker at a time. We're going to see this city transformed. And th sometimes we approach it in this way where we're like, okay, in order to win this city, what we have to do is we have to remove darkness, and that is not the call of Scripture. You know what we're called to do? We're called to be the light. We're, we're called to love on people. We're called to know their story. And so as we continue on this journey of what does it mean that we as followers of Jesus are called to be missionaries to our city, what we're going to look at this morning is the power of building purposeful relationships with non-Christians. That is the call. When I say non-Christian, what I mean is somebody who's disconnected from Jesus and his church. That could be all kinds of different stories, but I, we need a lens that says the people of our city matter. We don't just have our holy huddle in our little bubble and we do all our little you know, things together and we listen to our music and we have our events. No, we need to be purposefully building relationships with people who are disconnected from Jesus and his church. And so the way we're going to see that is we're going to explore Jeremiah 29 today. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Jeremiah 29. You don't have a Bible, you can grab one um, from around. 
uh, on the tables, or you can follow along on the screen. But let me give you the context. So this is, uh, Jeremiah is a prophet, meaning he speaks on behalf of God and, and, and speaks to the people of Israel, who are God's chosen people, and, and he has a message for them from God. Now, Israel is in what's called exile. So the story of Israel is, is they are the chosen people of God. God, God pulls them apart, uh, sets them apart to bless all nations, and he gives them a promise. I'm going to establish you in the promised land, the nation of Israel. But because they disobeyed God and were constantly um, walking in disobedience and not being a blessing to others, um, there, was, there was multiple times where they are exiled. So they are now exiled in a place called Babylon. And, and this is a radical change for them. So think about when they were in the promised land, their religious beliefs and values were the foundation of their society. Their, their very education system was built around the teachings of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Their judicial system was built around the Torah. Everything about their society and culture is built upon their foundational beliefs about God, holidays, calendar, everything about it. And then they're in exile. And the people of Israel, they went from a dominant culture where everything is centered around the teachings of God to an outcast minority before they even realized it. Now, they're brought into a city called Babylon. And, and Babylon was the most influential city of this time. It was massive in size, but even more so, its influence on culture. But, but it had, they were led by evil kings. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king at this time. And he was a king when somebody else would speak ill about Babylon. He would go over, he would take over that nation. Often he would slaughter the royal family, except for the king. Uh, the king, he would have, his, have the king blinded and he'd put him in prison so that when Nebuchadnezzar had parties, he would uh, march out all the kings of all the nations that he conquered, and they would be shackled together, hands on each other's shoulders, as a way of just showing off his power. Now, this is where Israel would spend 70 years in exile. And so there's this drastic shift that they're experiencing. They used to be able to worship how they wanted, and now that worship is outlawed. They used to have prayer and scripture in their schools, but now that's illegal. They used to have scripture on the walls of their central community and government buildings, and now it's torn off. Things that once were shamefully hidden are now publicly celebrated. They now live in a dominant culture that no longer shares any of the same religious family or moral values. Sound like anything you're experiencing today? That's a shift that we've seen radically over the last two five, 10, 15 years. We live in a much different culture than a generation before us. As one pastor writes, he says, in a few short decades, our culture's response to Bible-believing Christians has gone from grudging respect to a patronizing pat on the head to marginalizing indifference to outright hostility. You guys, we, like, we're experiencing Babylon. We are exiles in this community. We are exiles in this culture. So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, this is the beauty of the teachings of the Bible is yes, this was written over 2000 years ago. Yes. These are words spoken to a whole different group of people in a different uh, place, different continent, different circumstance. Yet we find their truths so timeless and timely for us to apply today. So what does God say to the nation of Israel when they are exiled amongst this evil generation? 
Jeremiah 29 verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, the context we just went over. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. He calls them to two things. He calls them to plant deep roots and he calls them to be a blessing to the city in which they find themselves. You guys, this is our call. This, we are not to be a people who just disconnect, run away, isolate, and hide. We are to be a blessing. We are to bring the kingdom in where God has placed us. So let's look at these a little closer. First, uh, plant deep roots in this city, you guys. It says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. God's heart is that we would dwell among people, even people who reject and rebel against him. And so settle in and plant your deep roots. Israel, they thought this was just going to be a temporary reality. Now, we'll be here for a short period of time, but then we'll get back. So what we need to not do is we need to not establish ourselves. We shouldn't build houses and we shouldn't start families and we shouldn't do these things. But in God's plan, they would be in Babylon for a long time. So it was best for them to settle in and make the best of their lives and family there. And, and I just need you to hear this. Some of you, like you're experiencing that, right? You're like, man, like, is this where I want to raise kids? Is this where I want to buy a house if I could even afford one, right? Like, why would I establish myself here when there's other places that, that seem to align with biblical values in a better way? Let me tell you why. Because this is where God has you. God has brought you here. And you need to, to dig down deep roots where you are planted. I know that God has brought you here. I don't know how, for how long, but this is where he has you. Uh, th there's constantly conversations that me, Nolan, and Kristen were texting back and forth about uh, individuals or couples will meet on a Sunday or people we're following up with. And, and so Nolan sends me this text a month or so ago. And he's like, dude, have you met this couple? They are awesome. I'm like, they he goes, they both have tats, they love the Bible, they grew up in ministry, and I'm like, yeah, 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 don't get too excited, they're moving. I've been praying ever since I met them because they seem awesome, but the last thing he said, oh yeah, and by the way, we're moving to Idaho. And, and he goes, nope, not moving anymore, God closed the door. And I thought, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? <laughs> I was like, let's go. Some of you guys are like, why did God close that door? You're welcome, right? I've been, I've been praying a hedge of rejection over some of these states. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want you here. We want you planted with us. Like, buy, like, build houses. Build, grow a family because this is where God has you. Why? Because this is what God does. He is a God who dwells among people. He is a God who is constantly pressing into relationship. We see that story all throughout Scripture, and he calls us to do the same. Exodus 40, 34 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is when the Israelites, are they've left Egypt and they're traveling, right? And God's presence is dwelling with them. And then Jesus shows up, and it says the word, which means Jesus. He became flesh, human, 
incarnate, and he dwelt. Literally, the Old Testament Hebrew word is he dwelt or he tabernacled. He fixed his tent of flesh, and he lived a while among us. This is what he does. And then what, what is our story now? Do you not know that you are a temple? You are now the dwelling place of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. And so we serve a God who dwells amongst people. And so we are not people who run and hide. We are not people who isolate. We are people that says, no, God has purpose here. And we are the missionaries that God has sent. This is why we did the map. Some, those of you guys who were here last week, you, you participated in the map. And if you didn't, you can go participate and you can see on the way. And you'll see this giant map of the greater Gresham area. It goes to Corbett and down to Portland and out to Sandy, right? And you just see the spread of people where we are. See, we need to be a people that, that understand and view our neighborhoods as a place of mission. This is how we actually are blessers. This is how we plant deep roots. This is build houses and dwell and live in them. What if your house was a place of refuge and peace in your neighborhood? What if you didn't just open? Yes, you should open up and show hospitality to the, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. Welcome in it, them in. But we should also, the word hospitality means friend uh, or welcoming to stra- outsiders and strangers. That's what we're called to as, as Christians. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. He says, recollect that. Think think about that. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you know Christ, you are as the one who has found honey and you will call others to taste of it. We are sent on a mission We are placed where we live for a reason. And so we need to view our neighborhood as a place of mission. So be missional in your neighborhood. Let me just give some really tangible examples. And and you may not do any of these things, but maybe it begins a a launching point for you to think about how, how do I be missional. Take walks or ride bikes or walk your dog through your neighborhood. We we live in a day and age of of garages, right? We we come home and we open the garage. And we drive in and we close the garage so that nobody, we don't have to talk to anybody, right? We take our garbage out at one in the morning under the cover of darkness. I see you introverts, you know, because we don't want to talk to anybody. But we should be a people who are present in our communities. Grow a garden and give extra produce to neighbors. Simple way of being a blessing. Now, don't give them zucchini. Give them something they want, right? <laughs> like everybody gives zucchini away because nobody wants it. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I'll put it in their garbage when you take it at one in the morning, right? But like, it's a way of building relationship. Have an Easter egg hunt on your block as Easter comes up later this month. And plan it. Have neighbors use their front yards for all the kids in the neighborhood. Like throw a neighborhood block party with music and food. Close close off a section of it and rent a bounce house and have fun. Build relationships. Like as the weather is getting better, like we are now in spring. Yesterday was spring. Today's winter again. But you know, like as it opens up, it opens up all kinds of possibilities. You should have a map. Of your, of your local neighborhood and like the names of people. Like let, get to know people's names. Now there's a cheat code, right? Because I know how it goes. You go and you ask somebody's name and then you immediately go inside and your spouse was like, oh yeah, you met them. What's their name? You're like, I don't, I don't even know. I know they like 
food. Um, like, you remember nothing about them. Do you know that, like, uh, property tax records are public? Like, look it up. I'm serious. Like, I have done this. I'm like, ah, I forgot their name. And you, you look it up. Now, don't start with that, right? Right, right? Like, your first conversation is talking about property taxes, and yeah, $3,722. You know, that was a lot you paid, Gladys. Gladys isn't going to be happy to meet you. She's going to be freaked out. But you can remember her name is Gladys, all right? So, but be intentional. See the purpose. So your neighborhood, view it as a place of mission. That's how you plant roots. Second way you plant roots is you contribute to the well-being of your city. It says, plant gardens and eat their produce. What that means is that we would be a people who participate and contribute and enjoy the culture and local economy of our city. When you start a business in your city, you're providing jobs and positions. You're being a blessing. As you teach kids in your city, you're helping form and shape the character of our kids. As you make drinks as a barista, you're participating. As you write and blog, you're contributing to the voice of our city. If you're a photographer, you're capturing these beautiful family moments. First responders, you're engaging in moments of pain and hardship. Even like if you're, you're driving, you drive for Amazon, you come to my house way too often. Like, but bless you, right? Like this, you are participating in what God has for us. You farmers, you're literally following the call of Jeremiah 29. I don't care if you're an urban farmer and you just have a couple chickens. I'm good with that. Like, like this is, we, we have to participate. And so we need to be a people that frequent businesses often and get to know people's names as we go through life. Over and over, gyms or coffee shops or restaurants. And I, I just want to encourage you. I, I saw this tip the other day. It was about an entrepreneur, and they're, they're talking about networking. And I thought it was brilliant. And they just shared this idea. They're like, hey, go to the same place every, as often as you can in a two-week period. If it's a coffee shop, it's a restaurant, go to the same place every day for two weeks and get to know people's names. And then what happens, you only have to go every you know, month or few months after that, but you've now made a connection. And so it's about purposeful. My wife and I recently were on vacation and we found a breakfast spot we liked. We went there every day, like for four days in a row, right? They, like the primary language of this place was a different language. They knew our names. We knew theirs because we frequented it. And so have this approach where you're going to actually go to places over and over and get to know people's names. Now, a little cheat code for you. I think this is helpful. You should have a note on your phone. Everybody's got a smartphone, right? And if you don't, you have paper, okay? You should have a note on your phone that is places you go. When you get to know, ask somebody's name and you ask something about them, like write a note in your phone. Like I, I have, for all the restaurants and coffee shops I frequent on a regular basis, I have notes for all of them of people I meet and something I know about them. And so when I go back in, and I say their name, and I ask them about something they told me. They're always like, man, you have an incredible memory. And I'm just like, yes, I do. I'm amazing, right? <laughs> no, I have a strat, an intentional strategy of building relationships. There, there's a gal. Um, she's become a good friend of mine. Her name's Sasha. And I met her because I, I went in for a haircut one day. And I, I, I noticed her, uh, she, she kind of stood out to me because she has a tattoo on the middle of her forehead. And she called my name and I went and sat in her chair and she just like peppered me with questions. And I got done answering all these questions. And she just looks at me and she goes, God brought you in here today. And I'm like, yeah, Sasha, how come? She's like, because I hate the church. My dad was a pastor and I was deeply wounded by my experiences growing up. And here you are. And I said, and here I am. And I said, and I'll be back. And I've had a three-year friendship with Sasha. I know her story. 
I know the names of her two boys. I know about her relationship with her dad and her sisters and her family. I know the ins and outs. And you know what? I've, been, I've invited her to rise multiple times. She's actually come a couple times. She works on Sunday now, but, but hear me on this. My goal and my purpose is not to get Sasha to church. It's to get the church to Sasha. That we would be a people that, that say, no, the people of our city matter. We want something for them. See, you have a voice of influence in people's lives when they know that you want something for them, not from them. This is what we're called to do. That this, is, this is what it means to be a missionary. That we actually know people. That we know their stories. And we don't have some big agenda at the end. Now, do I pray every day that Sasha would enter those waters of baptisms one, one day here? You better believe that I do. But if she never comes back to church, guess what? She's still going to be my friend. And I still live on mission. We have to be that kind of voice. The, the level of influence. I mean, think about it. This is like, look around the room. This is one of three services we have. Plus all those like little minions you guys are creating over in the kids wing, right? That's a lot of influence. That's a lot of people. If all of us, we, we were not just the church gathered, but we were the church scattered and while we were scattered, we were not just mundanely trying to get through our week, but we had a missional lens that saw people and their story and knew that they matter, the impact and the difference that that would make. Just participate with me on this a little bit. Raise your hand if you got connected to Rise by somebody inviting you or telling you about it, right? Okay, so that's probably 60 to 75% of the people in this room. The other 25, you don't want to raise your hand. But uh, a little bit you've heard maybe on like social media or some way, shape, or form. But that's how people get connected is a personal invite. And so that's why we build relationships to actually connect with people and to know their stories. Now, the third way that we plant roots that Jeremiah lays out from, from the Lord is that we, you raise your family in our city. It says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons. Multiply there and do not decrease. See, there was this rumor going around of like, you know what? While we're here in Babylon, we should not raise kids in this community. Imagine the influence. Imagine the way schools have changed. Like, why would we bring kids into this world if that's what they're going to experience. And, and so they, they decide to hold off. You know what the message of Babylon is? Do not have kids, right? I, I came across a couple things this week. I just want to share with you that, that reflects that idea that we see here. So this first is actually a chart. And um, for context, how we should think about this, this is a chart actually about like uh, climate change. And uh, let me just say this, because these things can become like political arguments. And actually, it, here's how a believer primarily should think about things like that. First, um, we have a responsibility to take care of our world, like we do, okay? And so as soon as we, it shouldn't be a political trigger when we hear those kind of words. But the second thing is we have a biblical responsibility to think wisely about the solutions that are being offered, all right? And so when we hear these things, we should actually engage. Now, I'll explain why I'm showing this chart in a second. Basically what it does and it's looking at the effect of each action in tons of CO2 emissions avoided annually. So it's saying, hey, if you do this, this is the change that, that'll take place, okay? So if you upgrade your light bulbs, right? You go to LED light bulbs. They say they never burn out. They last, you know, 24 years. They last like 24 weeks, but whatever, that's fine. Uh, 
if you upgrade in 0.1 tons, if you start recycling, right? I, I, yeah, you, you feel that shame and guilt right now because you just all throw it in the same bin. If you would start recycling 0.2 tons, hang dry clothes, super viable option. We're all going to do that in Pacific Northwest. Good job, chart, right? 0.2, okay? If you replace your car, right? If everybody would just buy a hybrid, you know, 0.25. Eat plant-based diet. You, you change the way you eat. Buy green energy, 1.47. Live car-free. You know, we can all do that. We'll just live car-free. But the reason I point this out, the reason I bring this up, is the whole point of this chart was to show us there's one thing in the middle we can do that outweighs all of it. If we really want to see our world transform, you, you know what they shared? Have one fewer child. Now, this is becoming an actual argument. When people talk about wanting to have kids, there's this pushback. Wow, you apparently don't care about the earth. You don't care about future generations because, because it's, a, it's a destructive thing. This is the message. Now, that's like kind of like a subtle backdoor, just trying to trickle it in. But in Portland, just last month, uh, these billboards went up right in our city, um, all, all around Portland. Stop having kids. This is an actual website, okay? Uh, I went to it. I read. These are kind of the, the kind of images you see uh, around. Parenthood regret is a silent pa pandemic. A lot of humans wish they were never born. This is the messaging of, of Babylon. This is the messaging of our community in which we find ourselves. But let me, let me tell you what God's word says. Psalm 127, children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. Amen? Amen. That, that is the call. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. That is the message of the Lord, that we should have families. Children are a blessing. Those of you guys who are married and have fought to have kids and can't, you know the pain and the grief and the loss and the hardship that comes with that because we are, we are put here to fill the earth and subdue it. That is the message that we need. That is the reminder that we need. We are called to raise up the next generation. Some of you, you just need to hear this. The most significant contribution you make to this community in this city is not something you do, someone, but maybe someone you raise. It is a sacred call. I'm so grateful for stay-at-home parents. You know why? Because you are raising disciples. You're not just baby. That's what Jesus did. He spent time with his disciples. He shared meals with his disciples. He showed them the way. It's, it's a significant thing. And we as a church, we need to have a posture that says children are a blessing from God. And we're not coddling children. We're sharpening arrows. Because if we want to see our city transformed, we do it through the next generation. We raise up the next generation. This is why I love watching you guys serve in Rise Kids. Even those of you guys who don't have kids back there, when you take the time to disciple these children, it's incredible. I love seeing the dudes go. Like, kids need to see that. They need to see men disciple. I love going back there and seeing, you know, Tommy Elrod and Tyler Cornelison in their kids' small shirts. You know, they're just trying to show, show off their guns, right? <laughs> Come to the four o'clock. You'll see it, right? Or maybe don't, right? And, and, or, or walking around. I love how Constantine knows my son's name. And he knows my son's interests, and he, and he brings him things. And he want, Why? Because he wants to disciple him. I watched Jordan Brown as he's back there, and he's got this long beard that goes down to the ground. Kids are like climbing it. Yay! You know, right? I love that you got, because what are you doing? You're discipling the next generation. 
You're saying the story of stop having kids is garbage. The story of scripture is that they are a blessing. This is what we're called to do. Because kids are so influential. They have a, ma- they have a massive influence on us and each other. I was, I was walking by this pond the other day. And I saw this sweet family and they were just, you know, kind of playing and, and all of a sudden the little boy turns and he starts running towards me. And I realized it's Ollie Jaden, Nolan's son. And he has a snake in his hand, just like whipping around, you know, it's just like whipping around while he runs, like, like a licorice rope. And he's like, Jason, Jason, Jason. He's like, check out this snake. It's awesome. It peed on me. It's amazing. It's, you know, it just starts going through all the things about it. And, and then he, he's in, what is he doing? He's inviting me into his reality. He's getting me excited about this, you know, little demon creature, you know. <laughs> And then, I kid you not, he reaches into his pocket, and he's like, hey, you want some bubble gum? Right, right? <laughs> and he hands me bubble gum. And he's like, uh, careful, I didn't wash my hands before I touched that. You know, he just, just starts going off on all the things that he's interested. And I sat back, and I thought, man, kids are just the best evangelists, aren't they? Because they just invite us into the things they are passionate about. This is what we're doing. We, want, we are called to raise our families here. Not to just, yes, we should protect our children, Absolutely but we should sharpen them and prepare them to be, to be arrows in the quiver of a city that needs transformation. So how can we be missional as a family? Just a few things. Prayer walk as a family and pray over your neighbors. Like teach your kids to pray over them. Encourage your children to invite friends to join them at Rise Kids on a Sunday. Like friends at school or, or, or uh, playmates from their sports team, participate in sports leagues and get to know other families. Like th- that can be such a good thing to know these kids and these families and these stories, a way of building relationship. Host a backyard movie night and just say, hey, like we're, we're having a movie night in, in, our, in our backyard. We're going to have popcorn and hot dogs. We'd love for you guys to bring some chairs and, and, and come hang out. These are be- beautiful opportunities. Now, all of these things, again, what is the purpose of them? It's to build purposeful relationships with people who need Jesus. It's saying you matter. And so let's plant deep roots in this city where God has placed us and not say, hey, we're just waiting to move on. No, God has you here for such a time as this, for the people in your neighborhood the people in your kids' classes, the people you work with, the people you see on a regular basis. And then what do you do when you build these relationships? You seek to be a blessing. We should seek to be a blessing to our city. Jeremiah tells him, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile. This is God's words through Jeremiah. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find its welfare. See, God's plan for God's people is to bring kingdom through blessing. That's his approach. We think, okay, but how? How do I convince? How do I talk them into? You go, you meet people, you build relationships, and then you bless the heck out of them. You show them that they matter. This has always been God's strategy. Look look at this, Genesis 12. This is the beginning. This is what's called the Abrahamic covenant where God makes a promise to Abraham that he will make a people. But I want you to see the key words here. He says, I will make you into a great nation, the nation of Israel, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That has always been the purpose of a chosen, called-out, elected people. That it's through these people. It's not that they're God's favorite but they're God's means of blessing to the rest of the world. Now, this idea, it carries forward 
Look at 1 Peter 2. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's that language from Jeremiah. Peter uses the same language for us. He says, you are exiles in this world and in this community. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's saying you should live in such a way with so much goodness and courage and generosity and virtue that you are pointing to the kingdom in a way that people say, who's the king that you represent? And they long to worship him on the day that they meet him. And so in order to do that, we have to actually care about the problems of our city. See, in the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to compromise biblical truth to be a blessing to our city. You don't have to all of a sudden affirm verbally the lifestyle of other people. See, there's this like rumor out there. There's this, this misconception that if we love people that are not living biblically, then we're affirming their lifestyle. We're, we're condoning. That, that's such garbage. No, you're called to love them regardless. Jesus, this is why people hated Jesus because of who he spent time with. Because he loved tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And then we think what it means to live a holy and righteous life. Well, we can't, you know, we can't condone that. So I can't, I can't, you know, I can't participate. I can't love this person. I can't befriend this person because they're living a lifestyle so contrary to the gospel. Look, your job is to not to get people to live biblically. Your job is to bring people to Jesus, and he's the one who transforms their hearts. So love people without hesitation, without any holdback. Press forward in that call. This is what Peter is saying. He's like, look, you can live in a way that does not compromise truth, that does not compromise the gospel, and you're loving people because it's a call to be a blessing. They did a study on these groups. Uh, this massive, all these groups went to Thailand as missionaries. And they, they kind of sifted out and they said, man, there was one particular group that was incredibly successful in seeing people come to Christ. And there was another group that was absolutely unsuccessful in, in coming to Christ. They called the, the successful group, they called them the blessers. Because when they talked about it, they talked about their approach was, hey, we want to meet people and we want to bless them. We want to help their business we want to know their family. We want to bring God's goodness to their life. Now, the other group that was not very successful, um, they called them the converters because they showed up and their posture was, hey, we just want to convert people to Christianity. Now, here's, here's what I need you to hear. If you are not a follower of Jesus and you're like checking out the faith and you're kind of hearing this stuff, like I need you to know, like, you know what we want for you? We want you to follow Jesus. That's, that's the long end goal because that's what you're created for. And, and when we're reaching people, it's not so we can convert them to a religion, a, a, way, a, a, a certain way. We're, we're trying to bring them into relationship with Jesus. So is that the long-term goal? Absolutely. But it's the means in which we accomplish that that matters and makes a difference. See, this blesser converter, the study found that the blessers had far greater social impact on their area and were 50 times. They had 50 times as many conversions as the converter group. What this... What we learn from this is this is our approach. So you're like, okay, so I meet people, I know their name, and then I like find a gospel track and I hand it to them instead of a tip. Nope. No. You meet people, you know their name, you know their story, 
and then you actively look for ways to be a blessing on their life. And so as a way of helping us to kind of wrap up, a way of helping us know this, um, if you know anything about me, you know how much I hate acronyms. They're the cheesiest, goofiest thing in the world. So if I ever use one, you better believe it's good. All right. So here's our acronym for the day. Bless. I didn't come up with this. I didn't create it. But, but I, I've really, this has been a helpful framework for me. B, you need to begin with prayer. Like, are you actually praying for the people? Are you actually praying for your neighbors and loved ones? This goes back to Nolan's message a few weeks ago, where we should be, ha- we should be expectant prayers that we, we would pray that the Lord would bring these things about. Do you walk into a restaurant and say, Lord, would you, would you bring someone to me today? Would you help my eyes to see someone you have for me to bless? So B, begin with prayer. Next, L is listen. Don't just talk. Don't just show up. Hey, I met them and I prayed for them. So now let me tell you all these things. No, listen to their story, their struggles, their pains, what they've gone through. Know their background. One of, the, one of the things I love asking when I meet people, oftentimes I'll ask them about a tattoo that they have because nobody gets a tattoo without either great meaning to it or a great story behind it, right? Or if they have jewelry or something on their shirt, like I, I just always, hey, tell me your story and I get to know people. And then E is engage and invite. Go back to that same place. Don't be like, oh, I met them once. No, share a meal, eat with them. Invite them into things that you're doing. If they invite you to a Super Bowl party or an Easter event, like go participate. Like actually engage with them. Yeah, it might not be the most exciting thing to do, but you're building relationships and you're taking time. And then, and then S, the first S is that you would serve. Serve them with no strings attached. And, and here's how you know how to serve them because you've listened to them. You know about the hardship in their marriage. You know about some of their financial struggles. You know about that repair that they need at their house and say, man, how can I constantly go out of my way to serve this individual, this couple in a way? Like don't serve people in ways that they don't need or want to be served, right? Just so you can be liked, serve what they actually need. And then lastly, if you've done all this thing, all these things, now you have room for a story where you can share your story of how God has radically transformed and changed your life. And why will they listen? Because they know you actually care about them. See, this is a blessing strategy. If we take this approach, it's incredibly effective. And see, we find ourselves intimidated to share the gospel because we don't know the ins and outs. But I need you to know this, that the power of the gospel lies in the realities of the gospel, not in our ability or method in sharing it. It's the story of Jesus. So what are we doing with all this? We're bringing people to Jesus because he's so good. And he's so, this is what Jesus did, right? You look at his time on earth. He went around, he met people, he saw them, he knew their story, and then he blessed them. As followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. See, Jeremiah 29 is this beautiful picture of what Jesus did. You guys, he exiled exiled himself out of heaven to dwell among us. He built his dwelling among his people. He planted his church to bless his creation. He started an eternal family that would multiply until his return. He prayed to the Father on our behalf. He sought our welfare. No matter what was done to him, he only offered blessing in return. And so I just want to end with this quote that I read this week by a guy named Dane Ortland because it was just so powerful. It's just like, what are we doing? We're bringing people to Jesus. Why? Because what he wants for them. It says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself, then come to Jesus. 
It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting rid of your pain or your your heartache or your addictions. But your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smooth or passively find, into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, Jesus Christ's desire is that you would find rest, that you come in out of the storm and it out, outstrips even your own. This is what Jesus wants for you. And so this is what we're doing as a people, that we would be a people on mission in our city, reaching people with the power of the gospel. Jesus, would you send us this week? Would you allow us to be praying people who pray over the names of those you've connected us to and that we would listen to their story and that we would engage with them and that we would serve them and we would share the story of how you've radically changed our hearts and our lives. Lord, and as I just think about that map out in the hallway. I thank you for this church. May this city experience your goodness and your grace and your healing and your hope because we are a people who actively are building purposeful relationship with those who are disconnected from you and your church. I pray this in your name, amen.